did you know that the Paramore track, That's What You Get, was originally going to be called Punched by Lemmy? Because, of course, that's what you get when you lecture Hawkwind. Thank you. I'm here all year. Hello, hello. Welcome to In Five. I'm Edward Thomas, uh, an appreciator of music, or someone who attempts to appreciate music in all its forms. And I'm joined today by Rob Wilson, podcaster, musician, general appreciator of music as well. Our first returning guest on the show, actually. And um, I hear you have some more musical product on the way. Would you care to tell us a little bit? Um, Yeah, we're recording this a little bit before uh, an EP of mine uh, is released into the world. Um, It's six songs. It's called My Thoughts Only Have More Threads. And... I imagine if you're listening to this episode with an interest in Paramore, then you will be, well, you'll be interested in my music as well, because it takes a lot from uh, Paramore's more early stuff, really, than their latest stuff. But um, yeah, it's just six tracks. Um, Its title is My Thoughts Only Have More Threads. Um, But yeah, if you're into kind of like sped up power pop with like, you know, like that kind of Weezery sound, which I just kind of copy, to be honest, when I make my stuff, then yeah, by all means, it'll be out on band camp and i think i've managed to get it on like spotify and stuff like that so yeah looking cool. forward Check to it, it, it finally Check being it in the world <laughs> go on put your hands up if you're a member of the healthy bmi club i took a tube out of my face today Today, we are going to be covering the the output of Paramore. Now, Rob, this was your suggestion. Why Paramore? Oh, um, wow. Uh, well, maybe it's because I've <laughs> having actually now done all the work to you know find five songs that sum them up. Um, having actually done all that work, I feel like maybe I did it because I hate myself and I wanted to give myself a huge challenge and make everything difficult for myself. But um, That's how I approach no, these it, things nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think, you know, to maybe understand them a little bit better because my story with them goes back a really, really long way. Um, I've actually, while doing the work for this show, I have worked out that Paramore have been in my life for half my life now. Um, I... Uh, it was 2000, late 2007, early 2008, when uh, I first came across them. Um, it was you would just have after been how old? Uh, I would have been 13. Um, so um, 26 now, and they've always been around. And so, yeah, first couple of years of high school between 2005 and 2007, I spent quite a lot of it um, trying to fit in with the largest mass of people even though I didn't, they didn't particularly get on with me and I didn't really particularly get on with them, but you just try and find yourself a large group of people and stick to it. But then by chance, um, one of our classes was uh, particularly 
poorly behaved. And so the teacher broke up the class and moved us around to different desks to see if a different seating plan would solve the issue. And I got sat next to this kid who I'd never spoken to before. Uh, his name was Luke. And me and him immediately hit it off in that lesson. We didn't really pay attention to what was going on. We just spent most of the lesson doodling and like drawing fun things in books. And then we we started speaking more outside of school and he was on, um, I imagine maybe some people listening to this, this episode, maybe you won't remember some of the things I'm about to talk about, but, um, he was discovering a lot of music on MySpace at the time. MySpace? Uh, so, was that anything yeah, like Bebo? Well, it was, it, it was a little thing like Bebo. Um, and it's basically social media before we had the terms to describe social media and, MySpace used to be the best place to go to discover bands like Paramore and to find them because they would get played on some radio stations and maybe like MTV2, but it was never like huge exposure or anything like that. And we would find all sorts of bands. We would find like, uh, I mean, we had a real, we had a shared affinity for uh, One Republic and we were obsessed with them. And then we got into groups like Elliot Minor and Simple Plan and Linkin Park after Minutes to Midnight came out. And this was sort of late 2007, early 2008. And then one day we were chatting on a Windows Live Messenger, which is something that doesn't exist anymore. And on Windows Live Messenger, you used to be able to download something called MSN Plus, which was something where you could have loads of fancy colors and emojis in your personal messages. But you could also send files, like recorded files, uh, for, they, they had they had to be 12 seconds long because the memory wasn't that long and you could just record audio off your pc and send it as a little 12 second sound clip and one morning we were chatting it was like a weekend or something and he sent me a 12 second clip of for a pessimist i'm pretty optimistic and this was sort of like early 2008 and i was like what's this luke and he said oh it's this band i found on myspace they're called paramore they're kind of cool so I thought, oh, well, can you send me that song? And he was saying, yeah, yeah. So I listened to For a Pessimist, I'm Pretty Optimistic for about four months, five months straight. And um, and then eventually I realized it was time to maybe explore their actual albums. And so Riot was the first one I ever listened to. And mm-hmm. um, I had uh, we had some family friends that lived in Norfolk and I live up in Manchester and... So it takes about two and a half hours to drive to Norfolk, maybe about three hours at my dad's speeds. And um, I li- that was like October, November 2008. And I listened to Riot on repeat all the way there and all the way back. It's amazing and- how sort of early formative music listening experiences are around trips to places where you just have little to do, but engage yeah, with absolutely. the music. Sorry, and continue. I think that... For, well, from then, um, my obsession with them really grew. I downloaded uh, Riot and, uh, sorry, uh, All We Know Is Falling. And I was really into those two albums because like when you're a teenager, you like to have secrets from the rest of the world. And you like to think that you know more about the underground of the world more than the mainstream, if you will. And Paramore really appealed to that sensibility in me at the time where, you know, as foolish as it is, when you're 14 and you think, oh my God, Paramore are mine. They're just mine. (laughs) It's just me. And like, 
and like you would meet people and regard and even as like even as i get older now you can throw on misery business at a party and people who aren't really into like heavier music are well into misery business and they're well into paramore and it's like they weren't played on the radios that much but everybody at my school listened to them and all mm. of my friends listened to them and like i had a, my first ever relationship with a girl who was really into them as well and it was like this kind of shared community where the amount of different styles of music that we were all into as teenagers everybody still liked paramore but they were also never played on the radio so it was like this little secret that everybody had that like the rest of the world will never know what we all know and then i was really really attached to them i listened to riot and all we know is falling so so much and then brand new eyes came out and I went and saw them in December 2009 at Manchester Arena. It was £22 to see four bands at Manchester Arena. My goodness. There was Paper Root, uh, Now Now Every Children, who I think I just called uh, Now Now these days. Uh, then Yumi at Six supported Paramore. And then Paramore... Oh, I know that one. And it was, like, <laughs> it was like three hours of entertainment for £22. And, um, and then we were all there when the Pharaoh... Well we say the Pharaoh brothers, it was really just Josh in the end um, posted that huge statement on blogger when uh, he announced that he were him and Zach were going to be leaving the band and that Haley was unbearable and that she was the only person signed and that she was going to go solo and this, that and whatever. And it was difficult to stay with them during that period because you never know what's true. And so we, you know, you kind of persist and you keep listening to them. But then around sort of me personally, around 2011, that relationship I was in that really helped me get into Paramore, um, it, it ended. And so I tried to swear off everything I associated with that relationship. And then I kind of grew out of Paramore, I convinced myself. And then the self-titled album came out in 2013. And that was a difficult adjustment period. That was That was because I was like 18, 19 at the time. And it was like, this isn't my Paramore. What the <laughs> hell? This isn't right. And um, But then after a couple of months, um, I had another partner at the time and she said, like, don't be silly. Like, this is really good. You keep, you have to keep listening to this. And she was right. Because um, now self-titled is my favorite of all of their records. And it has just been amazing since After Laughter to it feels like the rest of the world is in on my secret now where, cause I remember being like a teenager and reading Pitchfork and reading, um, starting to read Pitchfork for the first time and trying to search for reviews of Paramore and they never spoke about them and they mm. never covered them. And like there were other bands I was into like Mayday Parade and A Day to Remember and other groups like that, where they just never ever got covered by like the indie music press. The critical blind You always spot. have to go to Kerrang. Mm. Yeah, huge critical blind spot. And you had to always go to Kerrang still. And it's like when you're convincing yourself that you've grown out of Kerrang and you want to go and read Pitchfork and and it's really hard to think that you love this band and then never find any coverage of them with people who have got respected opinions. But like, especially this year and the past couple of years, um, but this year especially and uh, in 2020 as well, I've spent a lot of time reconnecting with um, so much music I loved. And it's been amazing to see Paramore survive through so much and as a group because their lineups have always been different and their 
you know, Haley is the only constant on all five of their albums. They've always had a slightly different lineup for every single record they've done. And to see them go from strength to strength and then Haley to go solo and for everything to still be fine and for their, maybe they're, they're making the music now that they kind of really want to make and they've changed so much, but retained so much of themselves. And I spent so much of this year reconnecting with all the music I love when I was a teenager and Paramore have never really gone away. They've never really left my life. Like there were so many bands I stopped listening to and then stopped listening to for years. And then I've only recently come back to, and it's, I'm really, even though they're huge and really popular and famous and stuff in some ways, Paramore still feel like that band that were famous and people knew about them, but they felt like my little thing that I wanted to protect. And it's been quite on, I'm gonna, it's, I'm going to try and have to stop myself from choking up during bits of this episode because I listened back to All We Know Is Falling for the first time in about a year, maybe two years properly, just in preparation for this podcast. And like, I was listening to Never Let This Go and I was like, Jesus Christ, the memories I have associated with this song. And um, But yeah, it's they have grown up as I have grown up, really. And so sticking with them and watching them become everybody's best mate in a way everybody's second favorite band um is it's just been wonderful over the last three or four years it feels like people are finally getting and like the reappraisals of some of their mid middle era albums like riot brand new eyes uh they're self-titled people really seem to like those a lot more these days than they did even three years ago because i think people have been introduced to them via after laughter and have gone back and gone why did i never give these guys any credit these were these albums are great. Why did we never pay much attention to them in the past? And it's just kind of great to be sort of like someone opens a door and I'm on the other side of the door going, Hey, welcome to Paramore. I'll be your guide. And um, yeah, so it's been amazing. And I've been really, really, ever since you mentioned this to me, I was like, yeah, yeah. I want to do Paramore. Why didn't I think of Paramore earlier? Cause I remember we were thinking about doing Kanye West and I'm like, no, Paramore has got to be first. Cause um, yes, yeah, so as apologies much as I, yeah. to anybody I doubt there are many actually waiting for us to do Kanye West. We will get yeah. to Kanye maybe next time because Kanye is certainly an an interesting subject who remains topical somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I did, yeah, I did just want to say like I love Paramore so much, and doing this has made me realise that I need to get a tattoo of something. So I'm thinking like uh, Haley Williams' signature orange microphone might be a a good thing to get tattooed down my arm or something but um... shows how i tend to appreciate music um that i didn't even know she had a signature orange microphone i am such a <laughs> an instinctive headphone listener i mean i raised this with iron Man last time with their mm-hmm. when we're talking about britney it's like it's it, i i'm so bred with that sort of quiet appreciation time of music that I'm like, it's a bigger product than that, especially popular music. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really do need to, to, to broaden my appreciation of artists like this. Hmm. Well, the thing is when I found them, they blew my mind. Um, they were the first heavy quote unquote band that I ever really got into. Like I was kind of listening to Linkin Park and Simple Plan and stuff like that, but they're not that heavy. Like, but with Paramore, it's like, they, I mean, we'll talk about it, but they have this really kind of strong metallic undercurrent to their first mm, two or three albums. Definitely. And it was the first time I'd ever been exposed to properly heavy music before. And 20%, 30% of my library is made up of like hard rock and heavy rock and metal and punk. And I would not have entertained even half of that 
had I not found Paramore at such a young age. And I could I take that opportunity to point out how kind of perhaps unconsciously disdainful and misleading a lot of the, for example, the Rate Your Music tags on those early albums are. The top one being emo pop. Yeah. Because that would seem to suggest something quite sort of cutesy and snuggly, even for, you know, a, a sort of pop punk or um, Midwest emo band for the time. They're pretty heavy. They're heavier mm. than, they're heavier and more metallic than, say, Jimmy Eat World. And Jimmy Eat World could be pretty hairy at times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, carry yeah. on. They take the harsher elements of a song like Sweetness. And mm. I mean, I think we'll, in the first category, um, if we're going to talk about earliest influences, I think we'll end up talking about Jimmy Eat World. Oh, it'll come up. <laughs> so um, yeah, I just, yeah, they blew my mind. I was enraptured by Hayley Williams' face and hair and voice and mm. their lyrics. And yeah, Riot was a huge deal. Riot is one of the, if I had to pick 10 albums that maybe aren't my absolute favorites of all time, but are the 10 most influential about how my taste has developed over the years, Riot is way up there, like really up at the top. Mm. So yeah, cannot wait to get into this. <laughs> oh, great. No, it's lovely when someone comes along with such uh you know, a rich story and relationship behind these things and can acknowledge how how the periods of their life have dictated their relationship with the group. Um, mine is far less interesting. Um, and my relationship with Paramore is almost entirely one due to you, actually, Rob. Yeah, I probably but, kept pushing them. The thing is, they they were a name that I heard in a cluster of names from you know, late noughties onwards, but they were there, you know, you had Paramore, My Chemical Romance, you know, things like this. Uh, I didn't know any of these groups. I was completely divorced from that scene, not consciously. I was just, didn't know anything about it. I'm about eight years older than than Rob for, that, for, for our listeners. Um, and at the time, you know, I was, I was out of uni, um, and I was spending, I think, my two main infatuations musically of that year um, were John Coltrane, and I remember being obsessed with trying to learn the guitar lines from Gates of Delirium by Yes. So basically, I was on Mars. I had no idea what <laughs> what music was happening, you know, in a, in the surrounding 15 years on either side of me in the actual lived world. I seriously remember trying to learn. <laughs> this is true. Trying to learn the guitar line to Gates of Delirium by Yes in a cupboard in a mental institution in 2008. That, that is that yeah. is a, <laughs> that's how isolated I was. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, not, not really a quote-unquote scene kid, it must be said. But um, <laughs> we laugh about that now. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember when I was in Salford doing a music course later on when I'd, when I'd come out of the cupboard, in a manner of speaking, um, <laughs> in, in one very literal manner of speaking. But um, yeah, I remember people, my musical friends, as I should probably put it, because they were friends who were musicians, really. So yeah. Um, <laughs> talking about Paramore and it being the source of great debate, because I remember this being about 2013, 2014. And there was quite 
there seemed to be something fundamentally divisive about quote unquote, the self-titled. Because one of them was like, actually give it a chance. And the other of my friends was like, do you know what? They, they lost me there. Just lost, lost, lost interest at that point. They weren't my band anymore. And they are still, there still seems to be sadly this big divide midway in their career that I can understand, but I do think it's a shame. It's a shame for, for the earlier fans to have been put off. I can understand to a degree why, because they produced some of their best music, I feel, um, after the break. Um, yeah, I agree. But it's also a shame for people who, you know, came in, as you say, with After Laughter, not to be able to appreciate the early stuff, because a lot of the same strengths are there. I mean, admittedly, on the first couple, they're a little more embryonic, but I certainly think a record like Brand New Eyes certainly should not be slept on by any of their no. newer fans. You, they are missing out. Mm. It's a different style, maybe, but no, it's a really good album. So cards on the table there. But yeah, uh, I remember you talking about how much you like Paramore, how much, uh, you know, they had been a big deal for you. And um, you made a playlist, as I recall, and you were around my house one day and one of those weird memories. And I was like, well, why were we doing this? It seems very odd. We were... We were playing Sonic and Knuckles upstairs. Yeah, yeah. Why? I don't know. <laughs> and listening to this, and a lot of it, I was like listening through the first lot. I was like, yeah, this is um, this is all right. It's power pop. I was like, it was kind of going over my head a bit. It was a chronological playlist. Then all of a sudden, Ain't It Fun came on and snap with that introduction. I was like, what's this? This is, <laughs> I was instantly interested. It's like, this is a recent thing. I was like, I wasn't used to hearing, you know, quote unquote, emo or pop punk bands doing tracks that sounded like this. Mm. And I was like, this is really good. And then, you know, still into you, which I, I, I don't think, oddly, I was that into at the time, but I was very aware of how different it sounded and almost how provocatively bright and poppy it sounded by comparison. It was like, fuck you. This is a happy song <laughs> yeah. and you're going to take it and we're enjoying ourselves. So, so should you. <laughs> um, and then it kind of grew from that. This was before After Laughter. This was about 2016. Yeah. So that had been out for a few years, Paramore, the self-titled that Ain't It Fun and uh, Still Into You came off. Uh, but um, that was still the main discussion point that there had been this big shift. And um, yeah, so it was, it was Paramore that got me, the, the album Paramore that, that got me into the group. And then I went back and explored more and I got quite used to grouping the first three albums together. And I still do really. Yeah. Most people um, do. Yeah. I mean, there was a genuine break between the, uh, in fact, the break between the third and fourth albums is pretty much the same length of time as the period covered by the first to third album. Yes, isn't it? it is. Yeah, yeah. So very, there was obviously going to be a big change, although they did release singles in the interim, which I think we might talk about. Yes. Yeah. I've got a track from that that I might talk about. Yep, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But uh, but yeah. Um, it's been really interesting because I've been deliberately trying to to fill that blind spot of that era, which I know so knew so little about the popular music of, of that era when I was I was kind of still pretty young. You know, this was 
this was late teens, early 20s, and I was unaware of all of this stuff. I was in my own retro world, really, which is where I still am a lot of the time, but I tried to break out of it, try to poke my head above 1971 from time to time. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you, you very much grew up with the sort of, you know, emo, skate punk, alternative mm-hmm. metal stuff, you know, a bit of the new metal stuff that came through with Linkin Park. I wasn't aware of any of this sort of thing. And so it is very interesting to me to see from the outside in how much of it is nostalgia, how much of it is, you know, quality. Um, And I think there's a lot of quality in Paramore's output, but I don't feel I have the same and can never have the same connection to them that that, that you do because they weren't there. I, I first, I think I was either 29 or 30 when I first heard Riot and so it's therefore almost impossible for me to have the same connection, sadly. Um, but that's not to say that I can't appreciate it. But um, that, that's, that's basically my story. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a late convert, but they are, they are better than people have given them credit for. And those mm-hmm. early records certainly do not deserve to be lumped in with perhaps some of their more stereotypical brethren. Uh, yeah, contemporaries, yeah. They I'll have outlasted so many bands of that era for a reason. But um, at the same time, yeah. I think I will hand it to you that through the recommendations you've given me, there was there's far more quality emo music than I ever gave it credit for. And certainly I think that's partly because a lot of the sites I was looking on, as you say, like things like um, you know, pitchfork, break your music. Uh, a lot of the big critical sites at that time were ignoring these, but they were they were throwing scorn on emo bands, and so sadly, there's a sense of playing catch up. When it, mm. if it wasn't for some of my friends, I would I wouldn't have had any time for them at all because a couple of my friends uh, in those early days, pre cupboard, were uh, <laughs> massive into Jimmy Eat World, and listening mm. to things like that, it's like, but this is surely this is actually good, you know, this is actually good. And I was amazed that I liked some modern music actually at the time. But anyway, yeah, this is a lot of a lot of background info, but I yeah, think... there's a lot of background to give. But right, okay, the standard housekeeping, just in case you're joining us for the first time. Uh, here's how the format works. Basically, we have to between us by the end of this show pick five individual songs by Paramore that uh, represent different aspects of the group, as if we were handing a very brief uh, capsule playlist to somebody who had knew nothing about the group, but wanted a general picture of them. Not necessarily to get them into the group, but almost to explain the group to them as broadly as possible. Uh, the first track we're going to pick concerns the influences, the groups that made Paramore what they are, uh, the second will be the track that we feel is it represents their archetypal sound. You know, if you, if you went straight down the middle of their discography, that's probably what you'd find. Third, the track which contains as many of their best elements or, you know, as we see them. Fourth, inverted, as many of their worst elements as we mm. find. Uh, and finally, fifth, where they are now or their later sound. So, yeah, let us begin, and I'll start with our first category by throwing the influences question to you, Rob. 
Um, well, I've tried to pick three songs for each of these categories. Um, and the more and more down the rabbit hole I went of trying to work out what Paramore's influences were, there is one of the three that got like just solidified as like this is just the one, this is the song. So at first I thought um, it would have to come from one of the first two albums, and it does. Um, so initially I picked Let the Flames Begin. And then I moved to Conspiracy from the first record. That was one of mine. Yeah, um, but then it's been solidified and my actual like my actual pick is my heart from the end of all we know is falling Okay, so if we've got my heart and conspiracy on the list. So basically, yeah. <laughs> um, I had to do a little bit of research for this to find out. And there's this interview with Hayley Williams where she's talking about like, um, and there's this playlist that she made last year where all the bands that they were listening to before Paramore started are on this playlist. And she was mentioning them in this interview as well from about 10 years ago. And she was oh, saying- I wish, she I wish I'd known about this before. <laughs> Tell me. Uh, well, but she was listening to, she says, listening to Jimmy Eat World, Sunny Day Real Estate. And so I'm thinking, right, okay. So it's got to be one of the last three because the last three songs on All We Know Is Falling, uh, Conspiracy, My Heart and Franklin are all like, they wandered out of the studio after track seven, ingested all of these Sunny Day Real Estate albums, then just wandered back into the studio <laughs> to do the last three songs. And so I picked My Heart because at first it sounds like it's a love song but it's a love song to God and Hayley Williams and um, like some of her friends and stuff. And it's, it's a theme that goes through the first two or three albums, I think where they're very heavily influenced by religion and Hayley Williams feelings about her religion. And at the early stages, she's very much into like, yeah, you know, I, I, my faith is very important to me. And then by the third album, she's sort of like losing faith in certain elements of Christianity, like a song this like is a playing context God, I didn't know about actually. Um, but a song like playing God is where she's kind of, she's becoming disillusioned with how judgmental religion can be and how uh, judgmental some religious people can be. Um, but I think my heart, if you take that, its musical influences are, <laughs> um, Jimmy Eat World, Sunny Day Real Estate, those kinds of like traditional kind of emo-y records from like the 90s. And then if you mix that in with the fact that they had a really strong religious and Christian upbringing 
and that it permeates through their first three records. I think that My Heart is an example of the kind of environment they grew up in as people as opposed to just musicians. That's interesting. I, I didn't know that context. I was going to raise the lyrics, um, but I didn't know the religious connotations or the meaning behind that. There's another thing also that, you know, particularly my heart sticks out in their discography for a particular choice in the song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's I, what I would consider to be probably the only moment in Paramore's discography I find to be unintentionally funny. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Rob, could you explain? Because I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Is it the screaming at the end of the... Uh, the... Um, yes. Uh, well... The only other song in Paramore's whole discography with screened vocals on it is a different version of Emergency that they did on the Summer Tick EP, which is really hard to find on streaming services. It's only on YouTube. Yeah. But they do a version of Emergency where there's screen vocals all over the place. And I personally am not sure how well it suits their sound, but I think that the screened vocals definitely come from a place where they were young and listening to music that they thought was really cool. And they thought, yeah, let's do this. Let's put it on the end of the very end of the album, sneak it in right at the mm. end. And it has softened on me over the years, that screamed moment, but there have been points in the past where I've been thinking this maybe doesn't quite work, but I think that my heart really, it captures all of their influences as musicians and as people. And I am now when I when I fixated on it, I've struggled to see past it for an explanation for their earliest influences. I, I really have struggled to see past it. I thought about mm -hmm. conspiracy because it's got that emo y sound and let the flames begin as that kind of similar kind of sound. And it's also got a little bit of religious imagery in it. But I think that because my heart comes first, I would my heart wins mine. So that's my nomination. <laughs> Well, that is, I have too, really. Um, I originally considered Conspiracy, um, mostly or partly because of its obvious sort of Jimmy Eat World stylistic cues. Uh, I mean, at some places on that first album, it's like if you pitch shifted uh, Hayley Williams down, she would probably sound very much like the lead singer from... from yes, yeah, yeah. From Jimmy Eat World. What's his name? Uh, uh, let's call him Jimmy. To... Uh, it very much, yeah, she very much sound Jimmy. like Jimmy. Uh, and also just in the intonations and the little Funnily cadences. Enough, his name is Jim Adkins. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, Jimmy. Oh, oh, well. Oh, that's nice. That's less offensive <laughs> than I thought it was because uh, I, I do like Jimmy at World. I should point that out. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think my heart... It's sort of it's it's a bit like the final piece of the puzzle because in their early work, I, I know even I've sort of implied that there's this big seismic shift that comes after the third record. It's not strictly true because there seems to have always been a tension between different genres in their music, at the risk of sounding pretentious. But it's almost like there is more metal than you would expect in the rhythm section, the drumming yeah. in particular. Um, there is more punk in the vocals that you might expect from an emo track. Um, 
but there's more emo than you would expect from either of those things. So it's like they're they're threatening to pull into three different directions already. And I think my heart, um, I mean, the drumming can't be ignored uh, on those first few mm. albums. I mean, I, I love a bit of sort of busy metal drumming and it is, you know, barreling stuff. It's great. Um, but I wondered whether it was, is it just the fact that they got a, a more metal savvy drummer? You know, like when Megadeth mm. got a, basically a jazz drummer, that didn't make them a jazz band. It just meant that the drumming was a bit more jazzy. But to hear the... <laughs> bad impression. Sorry, they don't, they don't quite deserve that. Um, I was like, oh, right. So they have been like listening to stuff like... I'm getting like Linkin Park, things like that coming through. Because... Um, this was before Broken Side, and that is, a, that is a harsh comparison. But I'm sorry to say when I hear melodic stuff interspersed with screamo sort of vocals, I'm like, oh, it's Broken Side. Uh, <laughs> but no, that this is not that. This is not that tier. But yeah, my heart, I think it is. It, it's those elements in stark relief, and you adding the... Um, that religious context, as I say, I think, yeah, that's definitely, that's probably going to end up winning. I'll put it that way by default because we both picked it. The only other yeah. one I was going to to put forward was if I am going to break it into two eras very crudely, there are very different influences that come through uh, as well from the uh, self-titled onwards, particularly after Laughter. And it would be very, you could very broadly say it's sort of 80s tribute sound going on. But the the influences are far more specific than that. The track I've picked to illustrate this is Forgiveness off mm -hmm. uh, After Laughter. Now, this has a really pronounced uh, African high life sound to it mm. in the way the arpeggiated guitars and the major are kind of syncopated against this major chord progression. It is an obvious ode, but I think it's actually come through artists like Paul Simon. Uh, I think it's come through Brian Eno's work with Talking Heads and a lot of Peter Gabriel's stuff as well. Um, but also a lot of the production uh, comes from very specific elements here. There's this sort of gated sound. Everything's quite dry and um, clipped, which very much is a, is a very 80s sound, but it's Hugh Padgham and sort of his work with Peter Gabriel, with Genesis, the way he made Phil Collins' drums sound in that era, that very much comes through. But the way the synths are employed in this sort of sort of delicate synth poppy sort of way. They're emphatic. They're not right in the in your face. So I get, you know, in the middle eight of Forgiveness, I really get like a prefab sprout vibe going on with those little sort oh, of... Oh, cool. Sort of mewling, whining synthesizers just to add a little bit of an emotional edge to it. But I there's totally a sophistic, know what you mean. There's, there's a sophisticated yeah. pop vibe that goes through it. I mean, I hate mm. that term, but... It's the more sort of subdued use of sort of synths like Brian Ferry or the Blue Nile or something like that, more than 
human league, which is why to to say that they've kind of they've just kind of gone 80s, which on a track like Hard Times, yeah, that's a full on ode. But elsewhere, they are a bit more delicate and specific with their influences. But but I'll be honest, it's it's it, my heart is probably the best place to go to understand where they come from from my perspective. Okay. So yeah. cool. What's up next? What track? And this was a tough one. Yeah. What track (laughs) represents the archetypal Paramore sound, which bearing in mind what we've just said about their their career is difficult. They don't really have one anymore. Um, So, right. um, I had to get mathematical with this. Uh, So, right. If you take their um, albums as one, obviously their five albums are 100% of their career. So you can break it down into 20% because you divide it by five. And so 60% of their sound is uh, like pop punk, uh, emo-y stuff, uh, lots of like fast, hard rhythms and distorted guitars and big choruses and that kind of thing. And then 20% of their sound is more heavily influenced by power pop and it's more of a studio project and it is more overtly poppy and a bit cleaner and the guitars are there and they're gnarly but they are treated in a completely different way they're less they feel less organic and it's more of a yeah so that's and then their last album their latest album another 20 percent of their career is sort of like picking up on the new wave influences that i think have always been there Mm but maybe haven't only haven't grown beyond a seed until the self-titled record. And then they were a little like little sprout. And now it's fully full blown, like new wave pop rock power pop stuff. So if I had to find a song in Paramore's discography that was 60% distorted guitars, emo-y pop punky stuff, 20% power pop and 20% new wave, I have to try and work it out that way. So um, I that's how I came to my final pick, but there were slightly different credentials initially. So initially I thought of I Caught Myself, which was on the soundtrack for uh, the New Moon movie from Twilight. has the the quote-unquote paramore sound but it's 2009 by this point or 2010 so no it's 2009 and the influences of uh the first three records are just they're still there but they're just beginning to have less influence on the sound it's produced very differently obviously because it's for a soundtrack and it has to be it has to feel different so i thought you know maybe go for that one um i also then thought 
the uh, the album of theirs that best represents both sides of their sound is probably the self-titled. So I thought I'd go for a song on the self-titled that would probably be able to fit on the first two or three records, or at least most of them, which was Daydreaming. Because it has the cleaner sound and the cleaner production, but it's also got ginormous choruses and like massive guitars and stuff like that. And my last pick and my top pick, actually, where I started to get mathematical about it and think, what 60% big, like distorted guitars, emo, pop punk stuff, 20% new wave, 20% power pop, was Crush, Crush, Crush off of Riot. Because I think that you get the, you know, you get the thick kind of distorted guitars and the big chorus and Haley with like this kind of antagonistic voice that she has for the first two or three records where she's like getting right in the microphone and spitting in someone's face. But then just in the background of the verses, you have that little guitar line that could easily be plucked out, just the stem of that guitar line and applied to a song in After, in after Laughter because you get the... Ding, 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 and underneath the verses and i think that if you took that and put it on after laughter it would fit so my solid pick is crush 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 i think if you want to get everything in and explain that there was a little seed growing in riot that is now fully blossomed with after laughter and i think that yeah crush 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 has got to be um i think that's got to be the big the big pick for me that was one of mine as well Crush, 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 which surprised me because before I went and did a proper deep dive for this, you know, I've been listening to very little else over this past, you know, past couple of weeks than Paramore. um, I I was very, as implied, crudely cutting the career into into two. And I thought, oh, well, these these influences just suddenly happen with the with the fourth album. It's like, no, that's not true, actually. Although Crush, Crush, Crush is a bit of an anomaly on Riot. Yeah, stylistically, it's quite different because whereas I would say that Riot on the whole is sort of a it's a bit more diverse, but it's sort of a refinement of the debut. Yeah, um, just a little more confidence and bite. Crush, 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 which maybe coincidentally, I, I don't actually think it is a coincidence, is my probably my favourite track off the second album. Um it does have, it's quite surprising because I forgot that there is this, this burbling electronic element underneath and the drumming is more disco influence. It's more metronomic, which is really probably what gives it this character. It's kind of, you know, that the rock influences are at the very least coming more from the joy division side than they are from the, you know, sex pistol side, if that makes any sense. But 
But yeah, when I was approaching this question, I, I finally tried to, to work it out by asking myself the question, right, is there a song that would appeal to fans of both era, of eras of the group? Because mm. there are people, I know there are people who only listen to one side or the other. Um, so is there something that has, you know... Well, I don't need to explain that anymore, really. I think I think it's fairly clear what I mean. Um, crush, crush, crush was certainly one of them because it does have that austerity to it. Uh, you know, it's it's a bit more prune. It's a bit more of a. It is a bit cleaner in its production, a little more complex in its in its songwriting. It seems to have the the added value hooks. You know, like extra mm. hooks after the chorus that I associate more with their later career. Some pretty, you know unique mucking about with time signatures, which was, you know, which was, well, less less time signatures, more tempos, really, which was mm. always a staple of theirs. But um, They do that a lot. That's another thing mm. that I probably should have mentioned with their earliest influences is that on their first album, especially, considering they were like, what, 17, 16 no, I know, when they, they were made madly that? young. And they're so tight as a band and mm. they'll always think slightly differently about how to play a chord or play a rhythm. They'll always be... Um, they'll mess with rhythm or syncopation in some way to just make it that little bit more interesting. And I think Crush, Crush, Crush has got that. They're a big fan of like, um, it's not the most immediately apparent, but if you go back and listen to a song like Monkey Wrench from The Color mm. and Shape by Foo Fighters, you can hear Paramore in that straight away, that you can hear where they may have been originating from because there's lots of fast syncopated starts. I hadn't considered Foo Fighters, but... You're, yeah, I hadn't either. It was just right one there. day That's I was like, I'm going to cool. listen to Colour and Shape. And I was like, wait, this is like Paramore. What the hell? Like, and yeah. It is. I mean, that's. I think that's one of the reasons why I found them easier to transition into, even when I wasn't familiar and didn't have much of a relationship with sort of pop punk and emo of that era, is because they had this sort of, you know, movement uh, with rhythm that, mm. that, that wasn't, that I didn't consider to be common to that, to that genre. Playing God, off brand new eyes. This was my first port of call. As you've said before in a review you wrote, actually, of, of Brand New Eyes, that it was the point where they it first indicated that they were going sort of stranger places, <laughs> really. Yeah. The verse is, in particular, is, is quite striking in sort of... It's got a sort of subdued tone to it, an unusually placed melody that has... It, it has got a very sort of sophisti-pop feel to it. Um, but the chorus is still very much early Haley aggro, which he never actually honestly lost. It just sort of no, changed. It, was, it, it changed now. focus, perhaps. Uh, but the one I decided on in the end, um, pretty much splitting it right down the middle of their career, is off the singles club, but I think it was a single in its own right, uh, Hello Cold World. It's such a cold, cold world. 
It sounds in tone and attack like their earlier material. But interestingly, there are some stylistic elements that are... Hang on, I've got down here. That do very much hint at the direction. It's like it's almost this was the, the unbearable point of tension. Um, because the drummer is doing the disco thing and you can hear him audibly playing hand claps. And on a later mm. record, at the end of each thing, it goes, <laughs> except he's playing with this. And I'm like, it's, you know, it, it would be produced differently just a few, you know, couple of years down the line. But there's also this, this wordless sing-along section after the chorus, which is oddly bouncy and where the guitar and the bass play in unison with this melody, which is the kind of thing they do with like, you know, steal into you and grow up and things like that on the verses from, mm. from the next album. But it's still, it's got this very grunty metal character to it, the, the whole track. So it's like a later song rendered in the older style. So uh, it's almost like it's stri- that's the point where the tension became unbearable in a way. And that's why, yeah, the singles club is an interesting turning point. It um, is. It a lot. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like. Uh, well, I've always compared Brand New Eyes to Radiohead's The Bends, where it feels like where they've arrived at something and they've not quite finished where they want to go yet, and they've mm-hmm. not quite reached it, but they're definitely on their way there. Because like I came to Radiohead after The King of Limbs. I was like, oh, I should probably go back and listen to Radiohead, and you start from Pablo Honey after King of Limbs, and it's like wait, what? This doesn't make sense. Who are these guys? And I feel like in 10 years time, when maybe Paramore have got like two more albums under their belts and people go back to All We Know Is Falling and they're like, wait, this isn't Paramore. What the hell? Where do, how does this starting point end up where we are? And I think Hang when on. you get to so brand new- your your Radiohead experience started with King of Limbs and Pablo Honey. Yes. And yet you got the two worst you ones kept out of the way. Listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, credit to you. Credit to you. Yeah. You're a, um, you're well, a forgiving man. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that if Brand New Eyes is the point where people start to recognize Paramore, I think that the Singles Club reminds me a little bit of my Iron Lung EP because my yes. Iron Lung came slightly before the Benz, but it's a little tiny footnote in their career where if you look at it for more than two seconds, it's like, oh, this makes total sense. Like I can completely see where they end up from here because it's suddenly got much cleaner production. I think they have, uh, they, Josh and Zach Farrow have both left the band at this point. Um, they were doing a lot of movie soundtracks around this time because they had Decode for um, the Twilight, the original Twilight movie. And then they had I Caught Myself a New Moon and then they had Monster for the Transformers Dark mm-hmm. of the Moon soundtrack or something. And so they were doing all of these like little side projects while they were sort of on and off hiatus between Brand New Eyes and Paramore. Um, They were sort of like on and off being a band and then they'd come into the studio and do things like In the Morning, which is like basically just, it sounds like a Hayley Solo record really um, in a way. Um, And yeah, so like Renegade, Hello Cold World, like I, yeah, I would be more than happy because I think you kind of bow to me and let me have my heart. So I'd be happy to let you have um, Hello Cold World. Yeah, but I, I think I think the democratic approach, because let's be honest, we both had Crush, Crush, Crush in contention. In the list, that's true, yeah. So I'm entirely in that 
you know, it seems obvious for me. It's less work for me than to try and justify things and just go, hey, we both picked it. And it is, um, it's a forward-looking piece from their early discography, I think. I think actually it might be yeah. a little more forward-looking than might have even sounded a bit odd on Brand New Eyes, to be honest. Hmm. Um, it's a great track, though. So Oh, it's fantastic. Crush, crush, so, crush. So, so good. It is. It is. It's one it's, of their It's probably gems. my favourite from Riot 2. I have a real soft spot for the... Um, actually, no. No, my favourite is That's What You Get. But Crush, Crush, Crush is a favourite of mine. It's a high, really high close second, I think, <clears> to That's What You Get. Well, cool. But, cool. Yeah, okay. Crush, Crush, Crush. Okay, if that's going in, that's going in. That's. I don't have a problem with that. Right, now on to our third category. Mm. Rob, what, to your mind, are Paramore's best attributes? And what track slash tracks best encapsulate them? This is hard because I've lost sight of being able to view Paramore objectively. And so the best and worst elements categories have been really tough picks for me, like, trying to work out like what they do best what they do worst and so could i defer to your judgment on this initially and then see if any of your picks just match with my list all right all right um okay i mean my my first pick uh none of these are actually kind of the ones I thought they would be, oddly. Yeah, they seem to illustrate very specifically aspects I'm looking at. Um, for example, I never would have thought that one of my favourite tracks off Brand New Eyes uh, was Ignorance, but now it really is. I think mm. that's one of their best early songs. remember when that dropped that was amazing when they put that single out and that video of them all in that tiny room and they put it on the internet and it was like on myspace and we were all like i remember we were all sat around like oh my god the new paramore thing was coming out today oh my god oh my god and like we all just went nuts over it because it was like oh my god and it's the best possible song to come back with i think off brand new eyes because was it the lead single it was a lead single oh, yeah good and pick yeah because it's got a lot of stylistic similarities with riot but it just indicates towards, yeah, there was ignorance and then brick by uh, boring brick slow. I think it shortly followed it. So within a month, we had these two new Paramore songs and it was like, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be an incredible record. Oh my God, I can't contain myself. And uh, yeah, no, that was, uh, that was a really good time to be a Paramore fan. That was, uh, that was great. I mean, you, you indicated there that it was, um, you know, it, it, it did have a lot in common with Riot. And I think like a lot of the material off Brand New Eyes, it's sort of, it's it's the culmination of that style. It's like the first, I see the first three albums as kind of a, a, as, a, as a gear up. And then obviously Brand New Eyes is the more confident 
redistillation of that. And so with ignorance, it's it's just it's got like the added value chorus, as I call it, which is the chorus after the chorus, which wouldn't be there on perhaps an earlier record. Certainly wouldn't be there on the first album. I mean, the first album doesn't can't even be bothered with bridges half the time. Whereas by this time the songs are getting quite complex. They have multiple yeah. parts, you know. Um and they just, you know, the use of dynamics of of, of quiet and uh, and loudness when it cuts out the end of the chorus so Haley can do the sing-along bit with the ignorance is your new best friend ignorance is and you just know that's going to be stuck in your head it's just so catchy but that's a kind of it's almost like it's a pop concession that they wouldn't have put on earlier records but it just makes the whole thing stick out in your attention so much more. It's got one of Haley's best early lyrics, I think, because it's kind of, it's it's nice, it's broad in what it's aiming at. It's not necessarily, you know, clear the subject of it, but it so pointedly articulates its ire <laughs> as a vocal performance. Uh, it finds fun in being pissed off. And I think yeah. that's a real skill of Haley Williams. Uh, oh yeah. On maybe the first album, it's a little bit more sort of self-important frowny and a little bit on right. But by this point, it's like, yeah, I'm pissed off. Yeah, I'm disillusioned. Yeah, I hate you when I want you to leave. But I can make this sound exciting and, and fun. He adds his little haze in the background. It's, hey! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. proper Green Day kind of like. What was the is, lyric specifically that made you... What, what did you write down? Uh, it's just, it's not so much any individual lyrics as the way they kind of oh, they pile the into song. each other. There's a yeah. lot of alliteration and homonyms. And the uh, and like she's in the middle of an argument with someone, like the, where's your gavel, your jury, and all this stuff. And she spits it out and twists it around in her mouth. Well, it's great. It's kind of, I often compare in my head Brand New Eyes as much as I compare it to mm. uh, The Bends by Radiohead. I also kind of compare it to Rumours by Fleetwood Mac. Ooh. Because this is Paramore's divorce album. Like... I mean, no one really 100% knows for sure, but like, I'm pretty sure this song is about Josh Farrow ah. while he's playing guitar as he leaves the band. And like, so yeah, there is, I can see the argument she's having is with one of the members of her own band. And mm. like, <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of songs where like, she felt like she was under a lot of pressure after Riot. Um, because Riot was such a huge platinum selling success. And then she was like, I'm not going to write another misery business guy. Stop expecting it out mm. of me. And uh, yeah, she felt very pressured. And then within a year, they were basically broken up and it looked like they were going to end. But mm. obviously they stayed together as a three piece, but like, and then they became a two piece again. And then, and then a three piece with one of the original members. And like, <laughs> yeah, they've had a, a messy career in terms of uh, band members, but no, um, ignorance is a great pick. I'm, uh, yeah, I think something you picked up on there, though, is uh, maybe giving me a little bit more confidence to talk about my picks, which is the play between dynamics. Yes. Because I think that the best elements of theirs I've picked up over the years are the way they understand the loud and the quiet mm. has influenced my work so much, where just make the verses quiet, make the chorus loud, make the middle eight bridge section between the final chorus and the, the, the second and final chorus sort of in the middle. 
and you're fine. And that's that's it. Like, just announce your arrival. Announce the arrival of a new section. Just go ahead and make the verses a little bit quiet. And then, so um, I picked those. And I think that when they start to get the best control of dynamics, more often is on brand new eyes. But that doesn't mean that there aren't examples of it on earlier albums um oh, there's certainly some on, on riot i think crush 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 is a good example actually for yeah. similar tricks to be honest um well to be honest mine as well the other thing that i love about paramore more than anything is something i mentioned before where they just think that little bit harder about how a guitar can behave rhythmically behind mm. the rest behind Haley williams vocals and alongside the drums and how it can fit in and out of little rhythmic gaps that are left by the drumming and so my main pick uh, is that's what you get An unforgettable chorus, which Paramore were always very good at. It's got an amazing vocal from Hayley Williams, which she... Her voice is impeccable. Have you ever heard her sing live? Uh, well, I've heard the final riot. <laughs> well, like, there's this performance that they do around 2014, an acoustic performance at, like, the Grammys or something, and her voice is just impeccable. Oh, she is, she's one of, she is one of the so great... so well-trained the great so well-treated. But when my fingers into luck, can't deny... I mean, she had a voice that stole my head and heart when I was 14 and it stayed there ever since really. But I think that's what you get represents all of the best stuff that they do, which is like, it has that weird little kind of like hint towards polyrhythm in the verses. Mm. And it's got a huge driving chorus and it has that really lovely, subtle third verse, the... And she messes around with melody in certain ways that I have always wanted to replicate, but I've never been able to in my own work. And she does so, off offbeat little uh, emphases yeah. with her vocals. She she has got a good ear for for, for kind of a an offbeat and catchy melody line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was my main pick. My other two were um, one that came up on your list before actually playing God. thing i've really liked about paramore's whole sound over the years and it's something i mentioned right at the start which is that their albums represent Haley and the band really they represent Haley, though most of all growing as a person because it must be so hard to be a teenager in the spotlight and have like they don't play misery business live anymore because it's not that she doesn't like it but it's just that there are lots of lyrics in there that are kind of 
it, there's a lot of self-hatred about your sex and your gender and having a go at being judgmental about the way that other women behave and a lot of it yeah. she views it as like internalized misogyny. I mean there's one and there's one lyric in particular in that song that I think we all know, know which one it is. Came um, came back to bite her a bit, but I think she dealt with that quite well actually. She yeah, said it's like the, I, you know, as a woman now I don't relate to that and people do need to remember she was bloody 17 when she wrote that. Yes, exactly. It I mean I love that song and it is a raw encapsulation of teen <clears throat> jealousy and I think as a moment of teen melodrama it's wonderful. Yeah, I just think it works emotionally. Really, really does. You are like, I think at high school, we all knew people that we were jealous of and thought were fake. And whether that turns out to be true or not in the future and whether she wants to play it or not, I think that as a piece of art that is forever preserved in the state that it was created and in the mindset that it was created. And I think that, you know, with misery business, but the, it's you know it's great but i think that misery business is maybe an example of paramore having to do a bit of maturing and growing up with everybody looking mm. and i think playing god is maybe the first time that Haley starts to grow up as a person and starts to think critically about who she was as a teenager and who she wants to be when she grows up and i think that maybe not leaving religion behind but maybe leaving certain elements of her religious upbringing behind it because playing god to me sounds like a song that is Haley becoming disillusioned with the more judgmental aspects of people that she may have been taught by and grown up with. And, you know, the, the second song on the trot that talks about, and break it off. Yeah. Second song on the trot that talks about sort of the idea of judgment without authority, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Ignorance, it's the, um, it's so, the same subject. I think there's that element of it. Um, so that's, you know, that would be my, that would be another pick. Um, my, my last pick as well. So there's, that's what you get playing God. And my last one is Ain't It Fun. I think you have the quirky kind of like, you know, the fun rhythms that and like you have the really cool rhythmic patterns with the guitar, got the big chorus. You have a really expert control of dynamics throughout that. And it starts then to do something where it does this. I, I mean, my favorite songs don't always develop late, but this develops, this continues developing right to the very end it is a constant addition of ideas mm. and then when the mm. gospel choir comes in yeah and you're just like what how, how is a gospel choir fitting up that's why to be honest the self-titled was initially quite a hard sell in the first couple of months after confrontationally different in places very so i mean ain't, I I mean, ain't it to... fun is by any other standards a brilliant single mm. for paramore with their context it was it was as i say it was very risky <laughs> hugely risky i mean the first single was now which i like more and more these days but i wasn't a huge fan of that when it came out and then still into you came out and then they make that little like little 
noise at the start of the song. And I was, I remember listening to this like, oh yeah, okay, now wasn't so great, but you know, new Paramore song still into you, go listen to it, and then you get that slow droning rise that just ends in a little like microwave little pinging noise. And I'm like, <laughs> what? No, what are you doing? And like now I love it, and I still remember when people hated that song, and it was like it was below 3.0 on RateYourMusic.com, and now it's like at a 3.5. Yeah, I know. I've, I've, I've seen yeah. every time I check Paramore, their ratings have gone up. Yeah, every time realize that they're fucking brilliant, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they do. Um, they do. Des- I yeah. mean, it's they've they do deserve it. Um, yeah, really. absolutely. So, and ain't but ain't it fun was the third one. Ain't it fun was the song that started to turn me round to self-titled, where I was sort of like, actually, no, this is good. I need to grow up a little bit here, and some of us have to grow up sometimes. And so, yeah, <laughs> ain't it fun was what initially i mean it's not my favorite song on the album anymore but it is that is a testament to how strong everything else on that record is and how much i have come to love everything else on that record the only song on the album i don't absolutely adore from front to back is ankle biters which i think is just pretty good but like the rest of that album is like super like so super and ain't it fun was and a best example of what they have done best throughout their career. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I love Ain't It Fun. It's a great track. And I think probably, I don't know. I get torn between uh, Paramore and After Laughter. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, if somebody said to me, you know, it's their best album, the self-titled, I'd be like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that pick. But you mentioned, uh, well, you did a little sample from, from Grow Up there, which mm. was initially one uh, I considered for this, partly because her, I think Paramore, one thing I'll say that it does better than any of their other records, I think her vocals overall are the best on the album than they are on, on, on all of them. And particularly the verse and the chorus melody that she comes up with for Grow Up is Hayley Williams at our absolute best in terms of phrasing. Yeah. She just comes up with some really odd ideas. Stick it. <laughs> yeah. She just adds a pointless extra beat delay to that you don't, don't care. care. And it's like, that, that, there's nothing logical yeah. about that choice, but it's great. But she does sound yeah. like she's talking to someone, even though all of her, you know, it's still melodic. All of her choices are really quite unorthodox, but there's such a such a lot of presence and character to it. Um, catchy chorus as well, which is yeah. something that I think they've got better and better at, uh, mm. actually, as they've gone on. Because one thing I'll say about the debut, as much as I do like it, I do struggle to remember it after I've right. listened to the same extent as later records. But that might purely be uh, an aesthetic thing for me. Uh, it probably is mm. entirely subjective. Um, but Still Into You was actually... One of my picks for this. There are so many elements in there that make that record as a whole, the LP special, 
and that represent their strengths as a whole. I mean, the production is incredibly dynamic. Each each time the bridge comes along, it's rendered differently. Like that the second cowbell. The... <laughs> well, as I say, it's like it's the, the distillation of the the genre war that's going on on that album, where they they're not they're not even bothering to try. Actually, I don't know why I use the word war because they're not bothering to try and decide what genre they're going for. They try everything, and they succeed more often than they fail. I think there, but um, after the chorus on this already bubbly track. There is a scar rhythm section that incorporates cowbells and banjos and other sparkly percussion. And it sounds perfect. It's a ding, 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 yeah. Because of the way it's rendered with such vigour. I mean, it's easy to forget. This is still quite a loud song. It's mm. the most bubblegummy thing they've done to that point, but that's not a slight against it. It's delivered with all of the force and momentum of their early material, but it's so bright. And Hayley Williams is obviously feeling so sufficiently liberated by this that she just goes into this quite uncharacteristic, almost soul melismatic vocal towards the end. Baby, no. It's just a ball, really. And it's it's them experimenting with what they're allowed to do in the confines of their genre, which is becoming increasingly difficult to place, while never losing sight of what makes a strong piece of popular songwriting. Um, but my favourite, and this is another one that surprised me, it's one that's really crept up on me over the, uh, over the months on um, After Laughter, is Pool. You kiss me, you wish me, I absolutely okay. love Paul. Um, it's got the subtle incorporation of electronic elements that's basically marked, I think, their most... The last couple of records have had their most nuanced productions, as in there are lots of layers to the productions on both the self-titled and After Laughter. And you mentioned uh, one of their key characteristics all the way through is this sense of, you know, finding interesting ways of of all of the different instruments falling in different places. And um, there is that sense of it of it being a layered rhythmic interest that very much comes through on this. The chorus to Paul is so bright and shiny, and so it always just makes me smile when I hear that. And it's got all of the force of their early stuff, but it's just delivered in such a... It sounds so much more optimistic and confident. Um because it doesn't need to sort of roar with all of the, you know, the, the archetypal tropes of heavy music, but it is vast in its own right. And it's, it is, it represents this, this sort of gorgeous halfway they found between soft and hard, sort of the pop punk mm. side of things. Um, again, it's the added value 
that they add added in from the third album on particularly there's like well we'll add an extra section in here it'll be an extra hook and there'll be a coda and uh i love codas i love it when it comes <laughs> around at the end for like this is what we leave you on ain't it fun it has got a great you know yeah. it's partly a middle eight but it becomes a coda and they add more elements to it with the gospel section but it's got this dive back into section in it mm. where it's Haley at her best um, because it's not even interested in the lyrics. It's just dive back into, I've dive back into, dive back. Yeah. She's just taking the words of the song and basically scat singing with them, but but creating this sort of charming, this captivating melodic drive. Like it's a... Uh, yeah, it's just illustrating a gift for finding unusual phrasing over sort mm. of standard rhythms in that case. But um, it's just, it's a great pop song with more bite than that might imply to people and with more nuance to the way it's produced. Um, and I'd like to think it can be appreciated by both the heavier side of her fan base and the the side that likes the sort of the... The new stuff, yeah. 80s stuff. Um, yeah. They're my three. Ignorance still into you and pool. We've all picked different ones, but I, yeah. I think all of yours do have a lot of merit as picks as well. So I think still into you is probably the one because still into you was going to be on my list. Mm. And then I substituted it out for ain't it fun. So I think still into you would have been my fourth pick. If we had four picks, the thing is, I, I'm not sure. The thing that I'm sh not sure about with that in relation to Ain't It Fun is Stealing to You is one of their most overtly cheery songs. And in a way, it's almost quite uncharacteristic in how bright and bubbly it is. I love that it is, and I love that it's a full embrasure of that aspect. But Ain't It Fun has a lot of the sort of verve and drive and... Uh, imagination in the way it's produced uh, mm. but it has that real bite and it does carry through a theme that's on that album and actually is on the uh, the following album as well this idea of growth and taking responsibility and things that comes through it's encapsulated in that single so i would be equally happy with ain't it fun because i mean it's still one of my very favorites of theirs anyway but obviously that's not necessarily the reason to pick it for this category um yeah it's a tricky well, one. I love the way that you described Pool. And I think I would like to make sure that After Laughter is represented in a positive light because I always worry about how I feel about After Laughter because I love After Laughter, but it is my least favourite of their records. And I hate that it's the least favourite of... Like, it's the least fa my least favourite of their records. And well, so I want it represented very different. in a positive light because... I love it. I love it so much, but it is just when it comes down to the finest margins, I've just listened to it the least. And so I would want it represented in a positive light because I don't just want to have it in the where are they now category, if you know what I mean. I'd rather have it, like, give it some solid representation. So I think, Paul, the way you've described it has convinced me of it, uh, really. Oh, blimey. Oh, this is... How are we going to pick this, Rob? We've got six uh, really good ones, and I'm... 
Yeah. Uh, well, this is the testament to the group, really. It but, is. Um, it is. <laughs> I mean, should we flip a coin or something? Like, I don't have a coin. Do you have a coin? Uh, I've got a coin with six sides. It's got to be around here somewhere. <laughs> well, I'll okay. Flip. Which? So, are we saying heads is pull, tails is still into you, or ain't it fun? I I I, I think ain't it fun? I think we should have a choice each. Okay. And uh, Paul, well, I, and I, I, do you know what? I'm not prepared to leave this to the fates. I think we've got to be cruel and we've got to decide on one. And, oh, no. Um, yeah. Uh, do you know what? I think it's it was such a... I mean, my inclination is ain't it fun. I mean, do you really think that Paul is a better choice than ain't it fun? Uh, no, I guess not. So, yeah, ain't it fun? Ain't it fun? Uh, yeah, I'm happy with that. I'm, just, I'm fine I mean, with that. it'll just come down to yeah. a tiebreaker, which is... It's it's a really good song, and we both agree on that. <laughs> it's a terrible yeah. way of, of, of breaking a stalemate, but at least it didn't have to let the fakes decide. Cool, cool. <laughs> Happy with that. Right now, one that was probably bloody wrenching for you, and actually I found pretty tricky as well. Yeah. What what track embodies their worst attributes? What what Rob, what oh, this what, was what, hard. Are, what are their worst attributes? Tell me. I think that sometimes on some of their albums and not just on their albums, but just generally in, you know, just in isolation of some of the songs, they will try something that doesn't quite fit the rest of the record and doesn't quite fit them. So they try the piano ballad on Riot with We Are Broken. which is a song I quite like, but back in the day when I only had two Paramore albums or three Paramore albums to listen to, and I had like 500 songs on my iPod, that was always on shuffle for some reason. And it was always the one from Riot that I wanted to listen to the least. Because mm. I think sometimes they'll do something different to the rest of the record and it will really work. Like uh, just for example, uh, Fences, from yes. Riot is stylistically, one of my favorites off that. Yeah, stylistically completely different to the rest of the album, but it's a mm. you know, it's a solid track and I really like it. Um I think that you know they do something similar on um like with uh, brand new eyes, they'll drop in like misguided ghosts, and I quite like misguided ghosts, and you know, so every now and again they'll just you know, and but then sometimes it won't work. And so We Are Broken was my first pick. And the other one isn't on an album. I, I pick my I pick my guests well. <laughs> well, and the other one wasn't on an album, 
um it was the b-side to like the european version of the seven inch single for misery business which was a an a cover of My Hero by Foo Fighters. I've not heard it, I'll be honest. And it's like an electronic mix and it doesn't suit at all. like the original version kind of rendered through this weird kind of pro tools like it's fine like but Haley's voice is quite heavily they put it through some weird filter in the verse and like yeah it's not one of my favorites and the last one is um again I, I this is why I was worried about after laughter only having like negative um representation on this show which is an album i love but i think the song that maybe gets uh, gets my reasoning more than anything um is no friend i generally find no friend to be fine but it's just like it, I think it just goes on for too long for what it is. Like, it's a guy shouting an email. And, like, apparently there was an email sent to someone or from someone. And I mean, it's the vocalist from Me Without You who were a big influence on Paramore. But Oh, so it's not one of the members of the band? No, it's someone else they've oh. drafted in. Um, and I think it works as a little outro to Idol Worship. And I love Idol Worship um, mm. off After Laughter. But No Friend is probably what makes After Laughter my least favorite record because when I have to get it down into like a numbers game, how do I feel about every track individually? No Friend is the one track in Paramore's discography where I'm like, I could skip this just to get to tell me how. And so, yeah, I think No Friend is probably mine. That is a fair pick. Nobody is going to pick that as their favorite of After Laughter. If, if that is purely a contrarian no. pick, if anybody picked that as a favourite. Um, that said, <laughs> I love the sound of it. I love the cross rhythm with the... Da, 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 yeah. Da, 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 da. I think it's got a great sound. I don't actually skip it, uh, but I see it as an interlude. And you're right, the problem is it does go on too long because it does one thing, but it does it for about yeah. three minutes. It doesn't need to. And then the... Which I love, and I love the the polyrhythms on uh, After Laughter that start coming on the fourth album. It's it's an aspect of it I really dig. Uh, But but yeah, it's not much of a track. I do, it is actually, I think maybe it depends how you view a great album, if you're looking at it track by track, or if you're looking at it for like an overall sort of package, because for what it does on the album, I love it for that because it's so unusual and it draws to attention the fact that there is more going on beneath the surface of this record than you might first have realised. Because the more I listen to that album, the more I realise how carefully built up all of the instrumental tracks are and the relationship between the instruments. And that further brings to mind the fact that it's kind of like, this isn't just, you know, 
Human League tribute. I mean, I adore the Human League, but it's it's one of the more overt 80s sounding things. Um, it's kind of, it's it has got more unusual influences going on than that. And it always reminds me of Husker Do, that track. Right. Because they would... Yeah. Have, you know, this, oh God, what album is it on? Is it on um, Flip Your Wig or something? Where it's like you feed the, the rats to the cats and the cats to the rats and all this. And it's got this sort of looped guitar thing going on. And then someone in a monotone is reading this nonsense over the top. And I'm like, it's weird. I never thought it, they would remind me of, of the more experimental end of Husker Do. But it's part of the reason I'm really quite enamored with the later period of Paramore because they, they take a lot of risks and I like that. And it's helped mm. them survive where a lot of contemporaries have failed and have tried belatedly to hop on a more modern bandwagon. I mean, you know the sort of groups I'm referring to and have oh, failed. God, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time with um, Fall Out Boy's post-hiatus records uh, a couple of years ago, and I didn't enjoy any <laughs> of them. Um, and then kind of culminating in mania. Um <laughs> What you played me of that was like, wow, they are really just trying to get these played on phone adverts, aren't they? Uh, yeah, uh, not a fan of mm. uh, Mania, to be honest. Um, don't mind bands kind of changing style, but I feel like Muse doing, um, what was that dubstep one they did? What was it called? <laughs> oh, my God. Unsustainable. Unsustainable. I feel like, I feel like the general... I feel like the general negative reaction, overwhelmingly negative reaction to that song should have torpedoed any rock band trying to do bro step and in come Fallout Boy with Young and Menace. One thing I said going into this for Worst Elements is like I was not going to pick anything off the debut. It's not fair. Uh, they were so young and for a group of their age, especially, uh, it's really solid debut. And it deserves a yeah. lot of respect. Uh, enviable in a lot of ways. I don't think it's a great record, but when you consider the circumstances and the context, it is in its own way. Um, yeah, and listening to it recently, I've realised it's actually gone up in my rankings. It was always my least favourite, but it's just nudged above. I think there were some beautiful moments on that album. Um, it's got some really good. Songs. I mean, I I I I'd not realised that. Uh, listening back, it's like emergency and pressure. They're really good songs. Mm, yeah, mm. but. Um, yeah, uh, the problem with We Are Broken, especially, right, I'm going to have to throw a question out to you here because I know so little about the, the, the era. I'm getting more into it now, but as a, a sort of a scene that you grew up in, did, how did the lyrics on those first couple of records connect with you? How did you feel about them? Well, um, when I first got into Riot, um, I was in the middle of just starting my very, 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 very first actual like relationship in high school. And so I fell in love with songs like Hallelujah because there are all sorts of, um, and like, uh, and that's what you get. And like, when you're discovering these feelings for the very first time, Paramore's first two records are a very good way of interpreting and attaching yourself to emotions that you've been feeling, but maybe haven't managed to articulate because you're only 14 and mm. you've never really, you don't really have any wisdom or anything like that. You just have raw emotion and hormones. And even though Hayley Will is only four or five years older than me and 
it feels like she was living she felt like she lived through something already and she was speaking to us from the future and so when there are songs like um i mean some songs aren't really like they're like fences doesn't really talk about anything specific to me and but like crush 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 like that was high schooly misery business is very high schooly um so and the stuff on the debut was um very kind of like raw emotion and that's what it was what the first two records really thrive off for me really but then when you get to we are broken it's just like a general kind of i don't know it's always struck me as a bit vague and i don't think the piano really suits them i think the best bit of the song is towards the end where they start getting the full band out and they start using the drums and but it, it, even then it doesn't really lift itself it's it, i think it's fine like i've liked it more and more over the years and but it just did always used to come on shuffle first and i'm like i'd rather just listen to another song off the album to be honest <laughs> yeah i mean the reason i asked you about the, the, the lyrics there is it kind of i think it, it illustrates why i'm sort of doomed to always view the first couple of albums from the outside in is that i i can't have that connection with the lyrics and so i am doomed to see it in a very clinical way <laughs> and the problem is that they are i said about conspiracy earlier on one of the reasons i picked that as an influence is it kind of it's so archetypally emo in the sense that it's what people criticize it for lyrically that it's this sense mm -hmm. of self-important melodrama i mean this this conspiracy against me i mean it's such a i mean i, I it's probably more figurative than that but that sounds like such a sort of self-absorbed teen sentiment oh god yeah and i mean it's when you're a teenager probably you can't hear it any other way when when you get older and you realize that there are other people there <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's the problem with it. And I can't I can't appreciate it in that way. Um, and We Are Broken, which is off the second album, so I can take the piss out of it by my own metric. Um, especially the live version of The Final Riot. If yep. I was going to pick a bad Paramore recording that I've heard, that's it. Because... It's extended. The length of this is doubled. And so yeah. the lyrics are repeated verbatim. And there's this sense of self-importance to it. All right. First of all, it's a, it's a love. It, the sentiment is nice. It's about two people just and their link wanting to be with each other. This almost sort of womb-like safety they feel. But what it's going for and the kind of the cliche sort of flat nature of the poetry going on it just makes it sound so comically self-important. Uh, your arms like towers tower over me. 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 We just want to be whole. We just want to be whole all together. We just want to be whole. We just want to be whole. Now, imagine this slowed down about 10 times, you know, slower than this with all the grandeur you can throw at it. And then, you know, in my mind, which is perhaps it misses out on that teen emotional era, but it still very easily accesses a sort of puerile, <laughs> a puerile childish humour just starts to hear, we just want a b-hole, which is very... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of ruins it. But I'm like, you know what? This is so self-important that it sounds like it's disappearing up its own b-hole. So 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, it's just it almost it represents the the, the like the worst attributes that people see in emo uh, music. Yeah, I don't think as a piece of music it's bad at all. No, I think, I think it, it maybe. I don't know. It shoots for something epic that it doesn't reach. No, it doesn't or, because the coder isn't quite formed enough. Yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> That's a, but the thing is, they are experimenting with more complex song structures. They're experimenting with dynamics. That part I can, I do have time for, and I don't think it's a bad song. I don't think no. any of these are bad songs, but it's just that attitude and the the obliviousness, in a way, of saying lyrics like that over and over and over again and expecting them not to sound flat and silly but then again this is somebody listening to someone in their mid-30s listening to lyrics that connected with people in their teens that, that's that's sad on my, from my perspective do you know what i mean that's on me in a way but uh what are your other ones well i mean i only picked one more really Again, I quite like the song. I think it's got a lovely arrangement, actually. Um, 26. I've been chasing after dreamers in the clouds After all was in all the one who said To keep your feet on the ground Man, you really brought me back Right, I'll explain this because it could. I can hear be a, a lot of people of turning songs. off right now. <laughs> now here's the thing: I like the song. Um, Misguided ghosts again. That was another one. That's the same lines. I like that song. Yeah, don't love it. But here's the thing: I think that some the rhythm section isn't the only thing that they they, they borrowed a bit from metal, because in metal traditionally there was the quiet song to break up the album. That, yes. that was a metal tradition. Yeah. And so by the time of the third album, certainly, Paramore had become very good at building up songs from the quiet to loud. And so there could be quieter elements. And they were already good with dynamics. But they still, because these songs became loud, evidently thought they still had to have the quiet song, which because it was such a sort of trope, it would appear wasn't allowed as much dynamic growth as any of the other songs on the album. So... As much as I like the ingredients of 26, of misguided ghosts, of tracks like that, of even uh, I Hate to See Your Heartbreak, which is nice. I like that I song. love that song. Yeah, yeah, it is nice. But they kind of stay on an even keel. And Haley's vo vocals are actually more varied and dynamic on louder material because she's got a lovely voice and she can do these fine, but... It's almost like the whole thing is on the same dynamic keel, and so they can begin to plod a little bit because they they they're almost they don't allow themselves to go anywhere else dynamically because they're the quiet song. And I'm like, and it's amazing. Think about Twenty Six. The reason I picked that is, oh, I think it's a good song. This is on their most recent album. It's like there's enough quiet moments on that already. You don't need to have the quiet song. Um. I think, though, uh, based on it being on both of our lists, I think we know the winner here already, don't we? I'm happy with We Are Broken, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with We Are Broken, too. Yeah. I, I much prefer 26 to We Are Broken as a song, so hey. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, cool. We Are Broken. 
Um, yeah. And it goes. So the final category, like a tower, towers over <laughs> us. <laughs> ah. Right. So, yeah, this is where they are now. You could take this three ways. You could have the latest single that they released, the last track off the last album, or you can go for something off Hayley Williams' solo record because that was still mostly written by Hayley Williams and Taylor York, who have been two members of Paramore since 2007. It does have a lot of kinship so, with After Laughter, doesn't it? Yes. Um, so my picks are um, Tell Me How, which was the last song on After Laughter. That's where things are left. And if you were to, if Paramore were never to ever record another album ever again, then Tell Me How would be, uh, you know, it would be the last one you heard. The last single they released was Told You So. I think, or Rose Colored Boy. Either way, like, you know, two excellent songs, mm. pick either of those. And uh, Simmer. Uh, off the Hayley Williams' first solo record. Those are my three picks. I think we all know the reasons for it. So what about you? Simmer's a good pick, actually. I didn't actually consider Haley's solo album for some reason, but Simmer is a pretty a pretty good indicator of, of where they are as a whole now. It has in that, that they are comfortable. It actually, it kind of represents the fact that as a band, Paramore are comfortable now. They're not under any pressure to release. They're just happy to take time off and do their own thing, and come back to do stuff, and then whenever they're happy, they'll just turn. It's like kind of like the later seasons of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where they're now not under pressure to keep coming back every year. They just kind of take some time off. We'll come back and do a season when we're mm. ready. And Paramore seem to take that approach now, where it's like, yeah, when we're ready, we'll release more stuff, but we're just not ready yet. And we're just going to do some solo stuff for a while. Yeah, uh, it, it was just going to be something off after laughter, really. Uh, I picked Fake Happy. After Laughter is very decisively a certain aesthetic, really, more than... Mm -hmm. Whereas the self-title is almost like a transition album in the best possible way. Um, this is sort of them arriving at something else, and it is, it is solidly that, which is probably why, you know, it is going to divide people. But uh, 
it's, it's fake happy. As I said, it's, it's similar sort of reasons for the ones you picked. I mean, it's got the, you know, it's got the syncopated yeah. verses. It's got that suave, sophisticated pop air, self-conscious 80s influences, like the jabbing synth, synth motif in the verses. The Haley's voice also has this sort of the thicker, more mature tone uh, to it. It's less sort of petulant sounding. Uh, and it's, 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 and I realised listening to her and trying to analyse that it's kind of the, a lot of the Midwest stuff has almost entirely gone. The, yeah. um, you know, that those influences, although that's why it surprises me in forgiveness. She says, your words are like a going instead of gun. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, well, that's a bit of a, but, <laughs> but the thing is fake happy. It's got a very sort of loud, very paramour chorus, but it's far brighter in its tonality and harmony. Uh, it's got a jangly guitar line instead of perhaps something that would have been a bit more spiky and aggressive in the past. And so basically that those elements are all, you know, there are elements that run all the way through their career, but it is more, more austere, more considered, and it's uh, sort of less overtly confrontational in a way. It is, it is more, mm -hmm. it, it is more a quote unquote mature sound. But um, but as I said, that could equally be Simmer, which also is very austere and um, yeah, sort of mature and shows her more restrained, lower register. Uh, so what? <laughs> what? What's the pick? Um, I'm happy to go with Fake Happy, actually. Yeah, because that's kind of where they are as a band now. It's what they sound like now. Uh, although there are rumours that their sixth album, which they apparently have started recording for or making or whatever, is going to go back to their roots a little bit more. So we could look like fools in two years' time. But yeah, well, I mean, it's where are they now at the time of recording? <laughs> exactly. So, so where, where are they now? I mean, obviously, like the bloody Weezer one we did first time round, very yeah. first episode of M Five. That's already, that's already out, of out of date. Because yeah. the, you know. Uh, okay human dropped a couple of days ago that's very yeah. different so yeah fantastic we have we have reached uh we reached the end we did it we have so there's a quick rundown of the five we've picked influences wise this was an easy one between the two of us it was my heart with its screamo vocals the archetypal paramore track according to us was Crush, Crush, Crush. The best elements as represented in the track were represented by Ain't It Fun. Yep. The worst elements seem to come to the fore on We Are Broken, particularly, I might say, the bloody live version. Uh, good mm -hmm. luck. That's a good album. I'll say that. Actually, The Final Riot is actually a good album. Yeah. Don't like that track. I think that was a mistake. <laughs> um, but yeah, and finally, where they are now, it's the nice middle ground after laughter song in Fake Happy. So yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Thank you so much for coming on, Robbie. It is always a pleasure. 
Um, oh, it's, this this was uh, yeah no this this was great. I uh, love talking about Paramore like this, and I'm glad people are getting it now mm-hmm. with Paramore because I've spent years waiting for people to get it. And as much as I had a little wobble around the time of the self-titled, I have always loved them in their own way. And now my love for them is solidified, and I cannot pick between like four of their albums. Yeah, for who, what's my favorite? I mean, my favorite is still self-titled, but like the other four records, I they change in order all the time. So my, mine haven't, although I do appreciate the earlier records more than I, uh, certainly more than I did. Uh, Riot has a lot more dimension to it than I gave it credit for. Um, there have been some aspects of the debut that have stuck out to me more. Um, I still, I still think that's their weakest album, but that makes perfect sense why it would be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I think three albums, three, four and five. Um, if you're remotely interested in, in the group and its sound. I mean, Hayley Williams is a vocalist, really. You should probably pick up all three. <laughs> yeah. It's my I'm going to go listen to the final Riot again now. I've not listened mm. to that in a long time. And I just want to give a shout out as well, because throughout the testament to the group, really, we have gone this whole episode and I have not mentioned my favorite Paramore song, which is Decode. Mm. Fucking love Decode. Decode is my favorite by far. And if they want to do post-hardcore stuff again, they have my full blessing if they want to do that again. Well, I mean, how did we... You know, how did we wait till Lakota to talk about the only exception, which is just a well, yeah. Track. It's, I mean, it's, ha- it's, I think it's just a. a all all I wanted was you. Is. We didn't even mention that once. What the, yeah, what's the deal uh, there? Yeah, Last Hope Part Two. Like, could have been any of them. Really, yeah. could have had several picks for several of the categories. That's why it was so hard. Mm. So, well, but thank you, everyone. Thank you for letting me go on about Paramore. And oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for going on about Paramore. As I say, you were, you go on entertainingly and insightfully so it's always good (laughs) he will be back ladies gentlemen and others in between yeah don't know who we'll talk about next but try and make it just as fun i think we might have to finally go for kanye because let's face it there's a lot to talk about there he he changes (laughs) a lot uh not necessarily with the same success as uh as williams and co but no. And I'm not talking about take that there. Although they did mm-hmm. evolve successfully. Yes, they did. Yeah. Anyway, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening in these strange times. And from Rob and from me, uh, we'll Bye. see you. See you around. Bye.